This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is another edition of Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry. And we're excited to be with you today in this middle week of April 2021. Today's edition is some great headline news with some big appointments in the news for the public transportation industry. And then our newsmaker interview with Valerie Nielsen from the Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency, where we recently visited on my road trip. Can't wait to uh, have you hear this great interview about what's happening in Palm Beach, Florida and their plans for the future. And then Alea Carey's messaging minute, Mike's minute, and then a look at the future of public transportation with all the information about one of the leading conferences, Think Transit, coming up right around the corner. All that on this edition of Comfort's Corner. But first, a look at headline news. Big news out of Los Angeles this week, Stephanie Wiggins, the current CEO of Metrolink, has been selected by the Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority, LA Metro Board of Directors, to serve as LA Metro's next CEO, succeeding Phil Washington, who is stepping down later this year. Wiggins is expected to assume the lead of the agency in May. It's a historic, significantly uh, appointment as she is the first woman and the first black woman to lead the authority. Wiggins returns to LA Metro from Metrolink, where she has led the 538-mile regional passenger rail system since December of 2018. When she comes to LA Metro with the expected experience and dedication, LA Mayor Eric Garcetti said what makes Wiggins stand out is her heart, saying she has a heart that distinguishes her, a mind that is incredible, and the guts to take on the big, bold work that is ahead of us. Mayor Garcetti, who also serves as the chair of LA Metro's board, noted that Wiggins is the right leader for the authority as it continues to evolve better service for the region. She'll be uh, managing a budget of nearly $7 billion and overseeing up to $20 billion in capital construction projects, overseeing an agency with 11,000 employees. And she said, I'm honored by the opportunity to return to LA Metro as its CEO and I'm grateful to Mayor Garcetti and the LA Metro board for the faith they have placed in me for this important role. I'm thankful to my team at Metrolink for all our successes together and those that are still to come throughout the transition as we work together in the future. At the time of her appointment, LA Metro CEO and our good friend Phil Washington expressed his wish for LA Metro to be a farm team when it comes to producing the next generation of leaders in the transportation industry, unquote. And he welcomed his colleague back to the LA Metro fold by saying he was, quote, thrilled with the board selection of Wiggins, saying, I've worked closely with Stephanie for many years and she has earned my trust and respect with her leadership, intellect, and dedication to mobility and the people of Los Angeles and Southern California. While Mayor Garcetti noted there will be more opportunities to celebrate Washington for the work accomplished during his six years at the helm of LA Metro, the mayor took a few moments to express his gratitude for Washington's efforts, saying, Phil Washington has been a visionary leader a force for trailblazing growth and lasting progress across our transit network. Phil leaves this agency better off than he found it, a legacy of an expanding public transportation system that gets Angelinos where they need to go and remains a force for sustainability, equity, jobs, workforce development, and shared prosperity across the LA area. And to be honest with you, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery. People are wondering, what is Phil going to do next? I, uh, I texted him a, a month or so ago and asked him, and uh, there, there has been no announcements made publicly of what he plans to do next. So I think people are, are waiting and wondering what will come next for him, if he'll end up in the Biden administration in a senior position or where he could show up next. We certainly will let you know when it's announced here on Comfort's Corner. In other big news, actually an appointment news, 
Uh, the Biden administration stated this last week that it intends to nominate FTA Deputy Administrator Nuria Fernandez to the top slot as administrator of the Federal Transit Administration. Fernandez, as you know, stepped down from her role as general manager and CEO of the Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority, or VTA, to join the Biden administration uh, in January of this year. She had previously served as acting administrator of the FTA under the Clinton administration from 1999 to 2001, and now the administration says they're going to nominate her for the top slot. Speaking of the Biden administration, they've released their fiscal 2022 discretionary budget, and it outlines the administration's discretionary funding priorities required for lawmakers to start the appropriations process that will lead to an enacted budget. It's, it's commonly referred to as a skinny budget, and it includes $317 million increase for the Department of Transportation's discretionary programs here in the U.S., and those are but a fraction of their total budget. Most of their mandatory funding comes from the Highway Trust Fund, and a proposed mandatory budget is forthcoming, uh, but this one is a lot of money, and the discretionary budget calls for $25.6 billion for U.S. DOT, including $625 million for a new passenger rail competitive grant program, $375 million for the Consolidated Rail Infrastructure and Safety Improvement Grants for freight and passenger rail, $2.7 billion for Amtrak improvements and the expansion of a Northeast Corridor and National Passenger Rail Network, $2.5 billion for Capital Investment Grant Program or SIG Grant Program, $250 million for transit agencies to purchase low and zero emission buses, $110 million in new funding for grants and technical assistance to communities as a down payment quote on advancing transportation equity, and a $1 billion amount for the Better Utilizing Investments to Leverage Development Build Grant Program. So this is, uh, as I have mentioned multiple times lately, I think the new federal involvement in public transportation funding continues uh, to be high, and I think it's going to continue to be sustaining uh, high amounts of money coming out of Washington for public transit for operating dollars as well as capital grants as the U.S. national government realizes that they need to get involved in a bigger way as public transportation is not just a city project, but public transportation is a national priority. But speaking of a city, our nation's capital here in the United States, Washington, D.C., I thought it'd be interesting for you to take a look at something happening there, and that is during the Transit Authority WMATA, Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, where I used to work for five years as a contractor helping to run the paratransit service, during their bi-monthly board meeting last week, four board members voiced support for a flurry of proposals that would simplify or reduce rail fees, including lower fares and eliminating rush hour peak pricing as a uh, what board member Michael Goldman of Maryland proposed a bold, persistent experimentation. He said, I think we need to give our riders some incentives to return to the system. We cannot continue to operate a rail system at 15% of pre-COVID ridership levels, nor can we even be satisfied with a system that's projected at 34% of pre-COVID levels by June of 2022. He said, I think we need to get riders back on the rails and not staying home, not driving to work because that's an option. And he wants Metro to look at eliminating peak fares, and he wants to lower the overall fare base price to only $2 a day and lower the maximum price from $6 down to $3.85. And uh, several other folks joined in with them, and they were suggesting free or reduced daily parking rates at Metro stations across the region. Um, and they really want to lower rates uh, and lower fares to get people back on the bus and back on the train. Fair revenue traditionally pays for about 38% of Metro's operating budget, 
with Metro rail fares comprising the bulk of the fare revenue. The rest of the budget is made up of local, state, and federal subsidies. And um, so uh, GM General Manager Paul Wiedefeld did not sound enthusiastic about the idea. He said, from a technical perspective, yes, we could uh, take a report on the idea. I think, obviously, it's a policy decision for the board if they choose to go that way. Ridership has slowly ticked up in recent weeks, as it has across the country and across the world in major cities, but it still remains at historic lows, both in Washington, D.C. and in major cities around the world. The UITP ridership stats, which I get each month, continue to tell that story. And right now, they're still only at about 15% of riders on the rail system and uh, only at about 40% on the bus. And so... Um, they have gotten a big chunk of funds from the latest congressional COVID relief package, over $714 million, which will help it avoid doomsday cuts proposed last year. And so that's good. But I just wanted you to hear what's happening in the nation's capital, that one city's transit agency board is looking at potentially reducing fares. They haven't made a final decision yet, but they are looking at it as a way to encourage people to come back on board. It's those type of innovative um, prospects that I think transit agencies across the country are looking at in order to be more customer focused. As you may recall, in last year's APTA survey, the American Public Transportation Association, they saw the number one key performance indicator had shifted for most transit agencies now. The number one KPI now is customer satisfaction, then rider uh, ridership, and then finally, you know, other mobility options like microtransit, et cetera, which we have looked at in depth. So I look at the headline news. Now stay with us for a great newsmaker interview with Valerie Nielsen from the Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency. Thanks for being with us. Stay tuned for the entire episode today. You will really enjoy it. Hi. I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. For the next few Comforts Corner episodes, I'm going to talk about email newsletter best practices. An email newsletter can be a powerful tool for transit agencies to inform your constituency, reinforce brand identity, and create deeper loyalty in one of your core communities, people who have a little bit of extra time to pause and read your news. It's a great place, though not the only place, to tell people about your events, shout out about achievements, and celebrate employees. Your reader's inbox is probably the most personal place you can reach them. When they allow your agency's brand into that space by signing up for your newsletter, your job is to respect that by giving them timely, useful information. Because this is such a personal communications channel, you should give a lot of thought to doing your newsletter right. There are good platforms for performing the basic newsletter tasks, and you can get a lot of that digital setup and the sending done for free or at very low cost, especially if you have a small list. But you should expect to dedicate significant staff resources to getting your newsletter right. Next up, a deeper dive into content project management for your newsletters. Meanwhile, if you'd like to talk about email newsletters or anything else related to transit and communications, Look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Thanks for 
you with us today on Comfort's Corner, part of the Transit Unplugged family. I'm excited to be in Palm Beach, Florida today as part of my Southeastern United States road trip, the first one in over a year, and was I'm here in Palm Beach, uh, met with Clinton Forbes, who is also going to be a guest on Transit Unplugged. And today I was able to speak at the Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency, courtesy of Valerie Nielsen, who is Deputy Director of Multimodal Development at the agency. And uh, we're talking today because uh, she's got lots of plans and her boss does and the group here uh, for the future. They are the MPO for Palm Beach County. Thanks so much for having me here today, Valerie. Great, thanks for having me. Yeah, we are excited about transit and the future of transit. We adopted our 2045 long-range transportation plan uh, a year ago. Uh, that that looks, is a long-range plan, 2045. Yes. Yeah. Yep, looking at, looking at 25 years out. Uh, how are we growing, where are we going, and, and how are we moving people? So. Uh, we are part of the Miami urbanized area, so we are part of this urban area that's connected by commuter rail and private rail um, with Brightline and Tri-Rail in the counties of Broward and Miami-Dade County. So our area is really growing and we are the nor northern tip of that urbanized area, but we are a county that has not yet passed a sales tax for transit, um, however Broward and Miami-Dade have. So we're looking at connecting to that future of transit system, enhanced transit, starting to move people in a safe, efficient, and connected way, and how do we do that moving forward? So in this long-range transportation plan, we developed a 561 plan. That's actually our, our area code for our phone number, but it does consist of five north-south enhanced transit corridors and six east-west enhanced transit quarters where we still have to do uh, quarter studies and get everybody on board and, and identifying the locally preferred alternative for each but these this is a network of quarters that um, we feel makes sense to connect and move people with transit um, with first last mile connections to these quarters to move around into the region that's great one of the things that I think a lot of people maybe don't realize is the role of an MPO a metropolitan planning organization and how they interact with the local transit agency, the local government, um, and uh, you've got a pretty good uh, operation going here. Tell us uh, kind of how that whole thing is structured here, at least in Palm Beach. Sure. So we plan, prioritize, and fund uh, state and federal dollars for our, our county. We, we are part of this urban area, so we do that in coordination with the Broward MPO and the Miami-Dade TPO, um, but we're primarily prioritizing these pro capital projects for for transit, for roadways um, over the next five years. So we have a transportation improvement program that we update every year with the new outer year. And that's where we have all this program of projects of transportation projects. Uh, we have two local grant programs for primarily for uh, transit capital, but also uh, bicycle and pedestrian facilities where our local municipalities and local governments apply to those funding programs. Um, one is the local initiatives program, which is, is around $20 million a year and our transportation alternatives, which is, has been around $3 million a year. So we have those grant programs. We don't own or operate anything, but we plan and, and prioritize these funds to give those funds to these agencies working with the Department of Transportation. Um, you know, trying to create this connected system. So are you all um, independent of the county government? Tell us how all that works. You have a board, et cetera. Sure, yeah. So we're um, independent of the county. Uh, we work closely with the county, but we have a board of 21 uh, members, elected officials, which consists of five of our seven county commissioners, um, 15 uh, represent elected officials from our 13 lar largest city, and a, a port official. Wow. Okay. And so the role of the MPO then is to... Um, you 
you take some federal dollars and you send them out to places, but really you're working on long range plans for transportation in your county. Yeah, so we're looking big picture, long range, where are we going in the next 25 years? And then we're, we have this transportation improvement program with the five years of the next, where are we putting the funds over the next five years for all these projects? Not just the smaller grant projects, but trying to align the capital dollars to match transportation projects in our long range transportation plan, which we update every five years. Um, so we're really trying to plan that out in this whole network of projects. So today we were, I was able to meet with uh, the chairman of your board, Mayor Pinto from Royal Palm Beach, and uh, he's got quite a vision too. So you, I think you're very fortunate in that your chair has a uh, passion for public transit and has a great vision. Yes, for sure. So we're really excited to have a, a, a chair that's really passionate about transit and that believes in this. Uh, we were just getting started on this conversation and about the 561 plan, about where should we focus and evaluate corridors for enhanced transit or premium transit moving forward when the pandemic hit. So now we're trying to pick up that conversation again and, and start getting get that started, um, get that rolling forward and really, you know, get a pulse on the community on where, you know, what what are people thinking and how do we move forward not just today, but moving forward, as I mentioned, our funding is five years out. So even though we're working on plans and on quarter studies, planning documents, our capital funding is five years out. So trying to look into the future, trying, trying to align ourselves for um, enhanced transit in the future. So also we were able to meet today with Nick Uren, who is the executive director of the agency. So how, do, how do you and he, kind of an inside baseball discussion, but how do you and he divide responsibilities here at the MPO? You're the deputy director, he's the director. What does he do versus what you do? Sure. So we, uh, Nick is our, is our executive director and he has two deputy directors. I'm the deputy director of multimodal development, really overseeing transit, uh, bike ped, complete streets initiatives, trying to get the educate, get the communities on board, um, trying to get them to be champions for complete streets projects, com complete streets policies. Um, and then we have a deputy director of program development who oversees our transportation improvement program, which is the program of projects, our, and our long range transportation plan. So the key key documents, and then I'm more of the initiatives and the uh, bicycle and pedestrian and transit, um, basically, you know, education and, and encouragement and, and all of that to trying to move those initiatives forward. And when you say complete streets, talk to me about what that means to you. So we, complete streets to me are, are streets that are uh, planned, designed and operated for users of all ages and abilities. So that's, um, and really prioritizing those most vulnerable users first. Obviously in a context sensitive way, when, we're, when you're looking at a highway, you're not gonna be you know, trying to prioritize a sidewalk there, but <laughs> in, a, in a normal uh, transportation system in, um, on, at a city level, you're looking at, you're not looking at pedestrians and bicycles and, and that first last mile connection to transit as an afterthought, as a, okay, we need to build this road and we're gonna move cars on it. And, and then after you design the road, you think, oh, it would be nice to maybe add a sidewalk if there's room. It's more of a upfront, how do we plan for the most vulnerable users? How do we fit in a safe, connected pedestrian and bicycle facility? How do we move those users so that we can create a connected network so people can get to transit and to other destinations that they need to go to. A lot of trips are, are less than um, three miles. So a lot of trips that people take, whether it's to a friend's house, to school, to the post office, to the grocery store, whatever they're doing, moving around in their everyday commute could be a walk or bike trip 
or transit. But if you don't have those connections, if they're not comfortable, if they're not connected, people aren't going to take those trips and they're going to drive. And then that just adds to more congestion, more pollution, and more um, just really people feeling frustrated. Yeah, then trying to find a parking spot. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. I think that's a great vision. Is that, is that what your vision is here for Palm, for Palm Beach, yeah. to have that kind of uh, complete streets? Yes. Um, when, when I arrived at the TPA in 2015, uh, complete streets, not a lot of people were talking about it. And um, I quickly moved on trying to get us to adopt a complete streets policy, even though we don't own any roads, we can at least prioritize funds, give more points to those grant programs, to those projects that are prioritizing um, safe connections, safe, efficient, um, and connected um, transportation system. We also didn't have a, a mission or vision statement. So um, we adopted our mission, which is to plan, prioritize, and fund the transportation system, and our vision of a safe, efficient, and connected multimodal transportation system. So basically, where are we going? You know. Um, so we adopted this policy to say we care about this. We want to plan, um, prioritize, and fund transportation projects that do prioritize uh, safety for all users of all ages and abilities. Not everyone can uh, drive, can afford to drive, uh, is able to drive because of age or physical ability. So you really need to think about all the users and those people that have to walk or bike um, so that they're not isolated, so that they don't have to be a burden on also paratransit or other things because there's no other way for them to get around. So uh, we, we first came into contact recently because you were hosting uh, a big conference on safe streets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so and, and, and isn't Florida, I mean, aren't you all one of the leaders of, of people getting hit, pedestrians? Yes, yes. Um, Dangerous by Design, which is um, published by Smart Growth America, the National Complete Streets Coalition, Transportation for America, they published this report. Um, and it's, it was just updated for 2021, uh, Dangerous by Design. Again, Florida is number one of the most dangerous state with the most metro areas for being the most dangerous for pedestrians in the country. This continues to be a stat for us. Unfortunately, we, you know, we have planned par- primarily uh, for car is king or trying to move you know, cars as quick as possible um, and create roads that are, that are wide. And, and, and really, it's, it's hard because really the way you design the transportation system, people are going to behave in the way it's designed. So if it's intuitively, it doesn't matter if you put a speed limit of 30 miles per hour at the road is designed for you to go 70, you're going to go 70 when there's not congestion. A lot of the roads are planned for when, you know, that peak traffic hour. So it's as if we, we created every airplane to be on Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, like the majority of the time, it's not going to be that full. So the roads are planned for when you have that, those peak congestion hours, but the rest of the time people are flying down the roads and then that's less reaction time for people to react to a pedestrian or a bicyclist or, you know, they're not paying attention. If you have, if you're forced to pay attention to the road by the design of the road, you're not going to be on your phone doing other things because you're paying attention to the road. The road might change. It might, it's not, you know, the line of sight isn't like a football field away. So you're not as confident as, Oh, I don't need to pay attention. I can just go fast. So, um, the, that's the that's the back of the dangerous by design. The title of that document um, that I recommend folks to check out. There's actually a webinar that they're gonna they're gonna go over the findings on the 25th of that report that was recently published. So, um, I would like yeah, I, a, a couple municipalities have adopted complete streets policies. A couple municipalities have adopted uh, Vision Zero as their target, which basically says that, um, you know. No death, no death or serious injury is acceptable on our roadways, and we should do everything possible to make it safe. Um, 
So that's that's something that I would like more cities to adopt because if you adopt these policies, then you start creating an action plan and you start creating a system. So, for example, a complete streets policy, you make it, you integrate it into all the levels of planning and into all the levels of of everything that you're doing. So then, when you adopt a, when you approve a new shopping plaza, you make sure that there's connections to the actual roadway, so you're not dropping people off on a bus、uh, at a bus stop. That has a hedge and an obstacle course to be where you have to go back and walk on the actual roadway with cars to get back into the shopping center. So you start connecting all the dots and really doing that checkbox.、Um, you know, are we prioritizing? Are we making those connections in every aspect that we do? That's wonderful. So it sounds like、uh, your role here and other MPOs, I know, do the same thing. You're really the backbone to make sure that public transit and mobility works, that it's connected, that it's planned for ahead of time. And then you help make sure that the execution stays close to the plan. Yeah, yeah, and we work really closely with Palm Tran. I mean, we we are federally funded with FTA and and FHWA dollars to to plan the transportation system, to do those planning、um, studies and. Um, yeah, really trying to. We're really at that ten thousand foot level. So in our county, we have thirty nine municipalities.、Um, so there's everyone's kind of looking at their own what's going on in their own city, but we're looking at it big picture. Where where are we going? What's happening? How do we make this all make sense together? How do we make it you know flow with the, what the rest of the region is doing? How do we move people because. There might be a county line, but to people driving on I ninety five, they don't really notice it when they're commuting across the county line. So that's true. Valerie Nielsen, Deputy Director of Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency.、Uh, best of luck as you continue to work on improving your part of the world. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Mike Bismayer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness, with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. This week, I had an opportunity to participate in a panel as one of the speakers on a webinar titled "Connecting You to the Transit Industry," which was put on by the CUTA Young Emerging Leaders Task Force. The aim was having a discussion with young professionals looking at possible careers in transit and sharing experiences and what companies or agencies are looking for when recruiting new talent. What was interesting and inspiring about the panel was the continued realization of the amount of talent we have in the industry, the great leaders, and the opportunity that awaits. It's inspiring to speak to folks whom are looking at entering our industry and bringing with them the great ideas, passion, and knowing that many of them will be our future leaders and change makers. Hearing my fellow panelists, it's exciting to know that there's an infinite amount of opportunity with no limits to what you can achieve, whether you're on the agency side, vendor and OEM side, or on the government and policy side. Understanding how folks have evolved within the industry, many of which have started in roles that look nothing like the current roles they are in. However, the common theme was that they all had great mentors or leaders that encouraged them to take the next step, challenge, or opportunity, and were kind with their time, advice, and the sharing of knowledge that it took for them to be successful. We've heard many stories, and more so since the pandemic, of transit agencies having to adapt, rebrand, or reinvent themselves as cities and people's habits change. I'm excited any time I talk to the future talent of transit that will continue to help shape and help transit evolve. Thanks for listening. Kindness is cool. Have a great week. Join us April twenty sixth to twenty eighth for virtual Think Transit. 
This three-day conference will feature powerful keynote sessions from industry leaders, live demos of our new and innovative solutions, and takeaway resources you'll be able to apply at your transit agency. You'll network with over 500 professionals and learn industry trends, all from the comfort of your home or office. Registration is now open. Visit trapezegroup.com slash thinktransit to register today. Hey guys, thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner for this week of uh, April 14th, 2021. Great to have you with us. Hopefully you enjoyed a great newsmaker interview with Valerie Nielsen of the Palm Beach Transportation Authority and some good headline news. And now we take a look at the future of public transportation. And this week we'll be talking about an upcoming conference held by a trapeze group called Think Transit. It's a great conference. It's held every year. Uh, This year it is virtual and it's only $300. Just Google trapeze group Think Transit and you'll be able to uh, take a look at the schedule and uh, take a look at registering. Uh, You ought to attend. It's going to be one of the best conferences of the year, I think. It's going to be held Monday, April 26th, Tuesday, April 27th, and Wednesday, April 28th. Three days, basically in the afternoons. Each day starts at 11 with a keynote speech, and then there are tracks. There's five different tracks of classes uh, which you can attend in, uh, in the afternoons, and they are track one, challenge and change, track two, mobility on demand, Track three, innovation is the new normal. Track four, connecting communities. That's the one that I'm in charge of. And then track five, tech, tech, tech. And uh, you can mix and match. You don't have to stay on one track the whole time, uh, but it'll be, um, it'll be basically themes in each of those tracks that you can attend, and it's all online. And I want to tell you about the one I've been putting together. I've been curating for you, my listeners, a great track, track four, and connecting communities with some of our favorite guests from here on Uh, our podcast, Transit Unplugged. And so on the first day, on Monday, April 26, I'm kicking it off with a great customer panel called Improving Customer Connections. Customer panel will be moderated by me, a panel of transit agency executives discussing how they're using technology and developing forward-thinking approaches to increasing mobility and accessibility for the community, promoting economic growth, and fostering equitable transportation. And our guests are John Sisson, who is the CEO of Delaware Transit, DART, good friend of mine, uh, lives close to where I live here in Maryland. And then Sam Sargent, uh, Deputy Chief of Staff at Cap Metro in Austin. Cap Metro, uh, under the leadership of Randy there, has become one of the most innovative and forward-thinking and now hopefully cash-rich agencies in the country since their voters just adopted a referendum which will give them $7 billion of new funding over the next years. So uh, Sam will be talking, and then Alea Carey, our, uh, our regular uh, participant here in Comfort's Corner is going to be talking from Transit Happy about some of the great trends that she's seen in transit. So that ought to be a great first kickoff panel on day one, April 26 at 12 noon. And then right after that session, two, mobility planning to redesign your new normal. Tyler Dvorak from Trapeze will be talking about mobility planning and scheduling using high quality data to enable planners to redesign their networks to meet the changing needs and restore confidence in public transit. You can learn how technology is creating better tools to help planners navigate a post-COVID world. And that'll be from 1 to 2 p.m. And then uh, session three will be bus rapid transit, high frequency service, 
uh, you need for your transit recovery. And these are, this will be Jenny Critchler, and she'll be talking about express routes and much needed frequency to service in the area of social distancing, especially for heavy traveled routes and how CT Transit's CT Fast Track BRT system uh, gets riders where they need to go swiftly while providing flexibility to meet changing passenger demand. So a great first day, um, and that'll be after a keynote speech by Robbie Mackinnon, our good friend, and so excited to have him do that as well. Then day two, which will be Tuesday, April 27th, kicks off with a keynote speech from, again, our good friend here on Transit Unplugged and the CEO of Sunline Transit, Lauren Skyver. And then right after that at noon, we'll be uh, bringing a different type of mobility to Access Link. And this will be Shiva Nagrajeff from NJ Transit and Bruce Payne. They'll be talking about traveler information and uh, how that rolling out a mobile application for riders to enhance self-service user experience in paratransit. That'll be a great session. And then session two will be a session I'm moderating uh, as part of my role with the North American Transit Alliance as executive director and bringing on our chair and vice chair, Brad Thomas, who is president of First Transit and chairman of NADA and Clement Michel, who is um, CEO of Keolis North America. And he's our vice chair, along with Chris Burles, a vice president of MV Transportation We'll be talking about, for the first time, a new UITP International Transit Union study that they've just conducted on the value agencies and customers see when contracting out fixed route and paratransit services. The study analyzed transit services in the US, Canada, Europe, and Australia, and the leaders of the North American Transit Alliance are, will review the findings of the study and share how contractors connected with their communities during the COVID pandemic and how they're taking them forward. That'll be a great session with some of the nation's leading CEOs of private transit companies who manage transit agencies uh, and their services. And then session number three will be get on board with infotainment. That's right, uh, Christian Andres from Villanova will talk about real-time traveler information, how it enriches passenger journeys like never before, dynamic passenger information systems have multiple displays of critical travel information, and uh, also all the infotainment solutions are the low-hanging fruit of a successful transit renaissance. That ought to be really good. And then finally, day three, I'll be the keynote speaker along with three of my friends who are leading transit agencies, Alex, who leads uh, New Orleans, and, um, and then a couple other of, of our big CEO friends uh, that you may be familiar with up in uh, Toronto, Canada at Metrolinx. The CEO of Metrolinx will be speaking. You know him as Phil Verster. He'll be talking about some of the great things that they've done there during the pandemic and afterwards to really improve a customer experience on commuter services, uh, which is something that people really need to be thinking about now is what's next for commuter services uh, now that the pandemic is moving forward. And then Aaron Pinkerton uh, from BC Transit, which is out in Vancouver, will also be talking about what they've been doing there. And then, as I mentioned, Alex Wiggins from New Orleans will be talking about equity and transit. And then I'll be talking. And then after that, I'll be talking about the future of public transportation and the grand strategy that we need to have to come out of this. Some new material I haven't shared before. Uh, that'll be our Wednesday keynote speech at the Think Transit Conference. And then after that, we've got some great panels. Um, I've invited um, MJ Maynard, who is CEO of uh, Las Vegas' Transit System, uh, RTC, Julie Tim uh, of Richmond, and Dennis Selinsky of Connecticut Transit. All those lead their agencies. And uh, they'll be talking about how, um, how public transit agencies 
are, uh, are coming out of the COVID, the ones that were hardest hit by COVID. The panel will reflect on the last year and discuss how lessons learned are impacting their short-term strategy and long-term strategic goals. That ought to be a great session right after our keynote with three of the nation's leaders in public transportation. Then after that, I'm excited to tell you about a, a panel which we haven't talked about much, but it is partnering with providers to improve customer connections. Another panel I'll be moderating with some of my friends who are helping to lead these private companies that manage most of the paratransit and a lot of fixed route and other work. And they'll be talking about um, this last year and how lessons learned are impacting and helping transit agencies improve their client agency operations and customer experience. We'll have Debbie C. Peel, Senior Vice President of TransDev, Derek Frethiam from First Transit, who's head of innovation there, Jim Herring, CIO and Executive Vice President of MV Transportation, my longtime friend Sandy Hill, Vice President, Senior Vice President of Keolis, Robert Smith, my predecessor at MTA in Baltimore, who was CEO there and now is a Senior Vice President at RATP Dev, and Matt Wood, Chief Operating Officer of National Express, all great leaders in our industry, will each be sharing from their perspective on contractors and how they are helping to connect and link our innovations together. And then finally, we have a, a session, Reimagining Operational Excellence with Customer Development Programs. And we'll have some folks from Trapeze talking there. Christy Yurik and Mohammed Nordin and Akshi Sharma, a good friend of mine, all talking about workforce management tools. So it's going to be a great track four. If you haven't registered yet for the Think Transit Conference, as I mentioned, just Google Trapeze Group Think Transit Conference. It's only $300. Uh, you can get that approved. At sign up and, and watch and participate in these. And, that's, and I just shared with you one track. There's four other tracks with all kinds of stuff, plus a solution center with uh, hands-on technical solutions of how you're using the latest and greatest technology. There'll be tips and tricks each day, unlocking useful features of uh, Trapeze software, both on the paratransit and the fixed route side, networking time, some fun events in the evening, all kinds of great things going on. It's the Think Transit Conference this year. I want you to be a part of it with me. Go right now, if you haven't done it yet, to Trapeze Group's Think Transit and register today. And join us April 26th through 28th, virtually this year, uh, to find out all the latest and greatest things happening in the transit industry. I hope I'll see you there. We already have several hundred attendees registered. We're looking to top out at over 500 people. I know you'll enjoy this time with us this year. Thank you. Take care. Have a great, safe rest of your week.